from the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California. I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast. I want to I thank Tim for uh, allowing me to use that little clip from his film, Whose Body, Whose Rights. And that was a bris that you just witnessed there. But I didn't hear any baby cry. Did any of you hear a baby cry? Oh, no. no. That, that's because it was a, a Brit Shalom. Now, it may not have been called a Brit Shalom back in 1985, because that's when that baby had his ceremony. That baby boy, intact, had a bar mitzvah in 1999, is now 27 years old and has joined the Jewish community. So that is what I'm going to talk about now. There wasn't a dry eye from the house except for the babies. Yeah. The rest of us were crying. Everyone was crying except the baby. That's right. (laughs) So um, I wear two hats in the genital autonomy movement. With one hat, I serve as the vice president of Doctors Opposing Circumcision, but today I'm going to put on my yarmulke and I'm going to talk about what has been taking place within what I perceive as a growing minority of Jewish families in the USA, and indeed throughout the world. Although I don't have any really critical statistical data, I think that I have some good news based on developing trends. Now, many of you in this room have been to a Brit, which is the Hebrew word, more commonly referred to as a bris, which is the Yiddish word. Brit means covenant or pact. The biblical reference, of course, as we've heard before, is to Genesis 17, when God makes a pact with Abraham, the prototypical Jew, for all males to be circumcised. Traditionally on the eighth day of life, although this is, this is not a uh, definite issue. I know myself, because I had some jaundice early in life, I didn't have my, my Brit Mila until I was about two months of age. So it, it is given dispensation if you can't do it on the eighth day of life. So t- traditionally on the eighth day of life, baby boys are given a Hebrew name. They are brought into the covenant of Judaism and their foreskin is surgically removed. Think of this as akin to baptism in Christianity. Literally, our Jewish baby boys experience a baptism of fire on the eighth day of life. This patrilineal, and I use that very strictly, patrilineal in in opposition to the matrilineal identity issue in Judaism. If you're born to a Jewish mother, you're Jewish, circumcised or intact. But this is a patrilineal naming ceremony, and it's called Brit Milah. So what exactly is a Brit Shalom? Well, the Hebrew word Shalom, in addition to meaning hello and goodbye, means peace. Therefore, a Brit Shalom is a peaceful, non-cutting, covenantal naming ceremony for baby Jewish boys. Now, there is no prescribed liturgy or formula for a ritualom. A rabbi or a lay celebrant may officiate, providing readings and prayers. 
However, many families prefer to create their own ceremony and do so without any officiant or celebrant. And this can be a very, very gratifying process for the family. Typically, the baby boy is wrapped in a talit, which is a prayer shawl, and the family and the friends gather around and they speak about what they hope for the life of this nascent Jewish boy. He's given a Hebrew name. There's joyful singing, blessings are made over bread and wine, and then there's a party. No screaming baby, no sobbing mother hiding in the kitchen, and no unrest among other boys in attendance whose own traumatic ritual circumcision may be on the brink of their own conscious memory. Ten years ago, in 2002, I was a neophyte contactionist, <coughs> having had my epiphany just a few short years before that. When Marilyn asked me to speak of my experience, I did so at the seventh international symposium. This is the twelfth, so it's biennial, that's seven plus five equals twelve. This is the twelfth. So the seventh international symposium was in Washington, D.C., and my talk was entitled, My Painful Journey, A Retired Jewish Physician's Acknowledgement of Circumcision Trauma Leads Him to Intactivism. And you can read my story uh, in the proceedings which have been published. And I'd be happy to talk about it to anyone personally who wants to hear it, but I'm not going to take the time now to go through that story. So although the term Brit Shalom had been used previously to describe covenantal naming ceremonies without traditional ritual circumcision, there was little mention of this term on the internet 10 years ago. With the help of Hugh Young, who unfortunately couldn't be here, and his circumstitions.com site, I developed a list of rabbis and other lay leaders that I knew who would be available to officiate at a Brit Shalom, and also would be willing to have their contact information listed publicly. I called the site Celebrants of Brit Shalom. Now, most of these were listed on the West Coast because that's where I live and that's the rabbis that I knew. <laughs> There were a few on the East Coast, and the rest of the United States was sparsely represented. This fledgling site listed 15 celebrants in less than 10 states. Over the past 10 years, I've continually attempted to list new celebrants. I know that they are out there, and there are many enlightened rabbis, cantors, and lay leaders who are willing to officiate at non-cutting covenantal ceremonies and in most countries other than the United States that have any significant Jewish population. The trick is finding them and getting them to agree to being listed publicly online. Initially, I ran into quite a bit of resistance from rabbis to take this perceived radical step of challenging the long-standing biblical imperative of circumcision. Now, as time has gone on, and Brit Shalom has become somewhat more mainstream, I'm finding that more and more rabbis are willing to be listed publicly and are less afraid of the political repercussions. There are a very few occasional rabbis in the Orthodox tradition who will have negative feelings about circumcision, but you can be sure that they will not breach tradition by being listed. In conservative, now I'm going from the more right to the left. 
spectrum of Judaism. In conservative Judaism, a rare rabbi may agree to be listed as a Brit Shalom celebrant, although they would be more likely to want their information to be kept only on a private referral list to avoid any public scrutiny. The majority of our celebrants come from more liberal groups, the Reform, Reconstructionist, and especially the humanistic branches of Judaism. In my search for more celebrants, I've had many interchanges with rabbis about Brit Shalom. Most will consider circumcision as an unbreakable pact between God and the Jewish people, and they're unwilling to consider alternatives. In all of these dialogues, I've tried to be respectful with these rabbis, and I really believe that honesty, respect, and compassion are always more successful than confrontation. You just don't win anything when you get into a pissing contest. Some rabbis, although not strictly speaking opposed to Brit Milah, will agree to honor those families who want a peaceful naming ceremony and will commit to being celebrants of Brit Shalom. One such rabbi is Erwin Kula. Now I'll write his name up here because Rabbi Erwin Kula is an eighth-generation rabbi. He's a well-known published author of a number of books. He's a respected spiritual iconoclast. He's a sought-after speaker at international meetings, and he's the president of the National Jewish Center for Learning and Leadership. Now, Rabbi Kula happened to be in San Francisco during the attempted initiative to criminalize circumcision, and he was engaged in conversation by a young Jewish man named Brian Levitt, whom many of you in this room know. Brian, of course, is with a number of other Jewish circumcised males, very distraught about his own circumcision. Kula was able to appreciate and deeply understand Brian's position. And it was through Brian that I got to meet Rabbi Kula on, online. I never, I've never met him personally. We had lengthy email discussions about Brit Shalom, and he ultimately agreed to be listed as a celebrant. And he's officiated since then at a number of Brit Shalom ceremonies. Rabbi Kula considers himself to be a bridge between traditional and modern approaches in Judaism. Here's a direct quote from Rabbi Kula. In the process of social and cultural change, there are visionaries, there are those resistant to change, and then there are those in the middle who can act as bridges between the two. All groups are inevitable, if not necessary, and the important thing is to know who you are in the drama and to do your part as authentically as possible. This means with as much compassion as one can summon up. I have to say that I was very proud to list such an influential rabbi, and I seek others of similar caliber. Now, when a newborn baby is born, a, common, a newborn Jewish baby boy is born, a common question from well-meaning relatives and friends, and you've probably all heard this, is, so, when is the bris? Often they are not even aware that some Jewish families might not be having a traditional brit milah, they're not even aware that circumcision does not make you Jewish. 
If your mother is Jewish, you're Jewish, circumcised, or intact. They may have never have heard of a Brit Shalom, so it will generally be up to the parents to explain that they are not going to have their son circumcised and that they will be having a Brit Shalom instead. Most of the time, Jewish and non-Jewish friends and family will be very interested in attending. However, occasionally, the grandparents or observant family members will be upset, and sometimes they might even boycott the ceremony. In time, I guarantee you that the offended family members will come to love their intact grandsons, nephews, and cousins as much as they do those who are circumcised. And in the 50% or so of families with interfaith relationships, the non-Jewish family members will certainly be curious, but usually not concerned at all with the fact that their newborn Jewish baby relative is intact. Now, I might interject here that I am mostly not dealing with a large number of families who identify themselves as secular Jews with no religious or observant affiliation. In the United States, these families will tend to have their sons circumcised in the hospital along with their non-Jewish American families in the first day or two of life. Now, as the incidence of circumcision in the United States drops, due to the work of many of you in this room, along with other factors, these families will likewise stop circumcising. Although there is definitely some element of Jewish heritage or tradition involved in this group of secular Jews, I maintain that they are mostly circumcising because it's the American thing to do. 20 years ago, as Marilyn can, can tell you, even 30 years ago, this was largely a taboo subject. Circumcision was not talked about, it was uncomfortable. But in the past 10 years, and especially in the last year or so, it's become an item that is very much in the attention of the public. And the, the timing of the, the appearance of my celebrants of Brit Shalom site 10 years ago was perfect. As the internet grew, our site started to be visited by Jewish families looking for some sort of meaningful ceremony for their newborn sons that did not include circumcision. I'm now proud to report that from the initial 15 celebrants in only 10 states, there currently are, as you can see here by the blue states, there currently are 30 states with 90 celebrants now. You can, you can go coast to coast from west to east or east to west if you'll just take a little bridge between Missouri and Oklahoma and you'll <laughs> be in a state that will have a Brit Shalom celebrant. <coughs> so that's gone from 15 to 90 celebrants. A six-fold increase. <laughs> a six-fold increase in the number of celebrants listed 10 years ago. In addition, we have four celebrants in Canada, and we have scattered cel uh, celebrants listed in the UK, Germany, Hungary, Mexico, and the Caribbean. You can leave that. Although there is, there is an anti-circumcision movement in Israel, for the most part, intactivists in Israel will keep a low profile, and they're unwilling to be pub publicly listed, although I am hopeful that this will soon change. 
Now, during the first seven or eight years that I had this list online, I, I got regular phone calls and email contacts about two to five times a week from families who I was able to help either by recommending a celebrant or encouraging and aiding them to create their own ceremony. I tried to maintain follow-up with all of these, but this was really difficult. Sometimes I was dealing with a, a father and a mother who were in conflict, and it was usually, although not, not always, it was usually the father who wanted to have the circumcision and the mother who was complaining and who, was, who initiated the contact to me. At times I was even contacted before they even knew what the sex of the unborn child was, so in half of those cases they had a girl and I lost contact with them. And sometimes the grandparents got to them and they just lost the courage of their convictions and they did circumcise. So bottom line is I really was not able to get a real meaningful contact with these, with these couples. So in time, with the magazine, newspaper, and internet articles about Brit Shalom ceremonies, if the rabbi's name was mentioned in this article, I could sometimes trace it back to my Brit Shalom list, but very often I was unable to do that. And in this way, I was able to get more contacts because I tracked down the name of the rabbi mentioned if one was mentioned. If not, I had to call the, the family and they got me the name of the rabbi and I was able to get him listed, him or her, because we do have a number of females. And in addition to my own search for celebrants, I was surprised at a handful of rabbis who read about or stumbled upon my site and called me directly and said, yeah, I'd like to get on that list too. So I was very happy to make that contact. Now, during the last year or so, these two to five contacts per week has decreased. And I noted that disproportionately, I was starting to get more contacts coming from Australia, Canada, UK, and other European countries, which are relatively poorly represented on my site. So my focus now is to try and get names of potential non-American celebrants. And to this end, I would, I would really hope that all of you people who live in countries other than the United States who might know rabbis or other lay leaders in Judaism, cantors, and who you think would be liberal enough to be willing to be listed, and please get me their contact information so that I can get to them. Now, I interpret the decrease in the number of contacts from American families as a good sign. I think that this indicates that the list is doing its job and families are finding celebrants without my personal intervention. Eventually, I would look forward to the day when this Brit Shalom celebrants list becomes obsolete. When this time comes, virtually any Jewish family, if they want, and they choose not to circumcise, would have any number of rabbis, cantors, and other lay leaders to help them with a ceremony. And they wouldn't need this internet list as a crutch. So despite these encouraging signs, the bottom line is that I'm really unable to give you any real statistics to answer the questions all of us would like to know. How many Brit Shalom ceremonies are being performed? What percentage of Jewish baby boys born are having a Brit Shalom rather than a Brit Milah? I do know that celebrants have commented to me that in the past few years the number of requests 
have been going up. And I've received comments from other websites, such as from Rebecca Wald's beyondthebrist.com, which I hope many of you have been to. Rebecca says, people come to my site searching for information on Brit Shalom, so I am sure it is becoming more sought after. My most experienced celebrant, who first officiated at his own son's ceremony 25 years ago, is Moshe Rothenberg. Moshe has conducted about 150 Brit Shalom ceremonies since then. Now, when I polled my celebrants, some of them told me that they do two to three per year, but many of them have not had any contacts at all. And unfortunately, I didn't get anywhere near even 60% of response from my celebrants. So I know, I know also that there are Brit Shalom ceremonies done out there which are unrelated to my list. And of course, there are, there's a large number of families who don't use a celebrant, they, they create their own ceremony and they don't use any celebrant. So I'll have to use some educated extrapolation and guesswork here. And my best guess is that somewhere about a few hundred, maybe three to four hundred non-cutting covenantal Brit Shalom ceremonies are performed annually in the United States. In, the, in, in other countries, the numbers are probably minimal. Now, I know three to four hundred is a very small number, but consider that 30 to 50 years ago, such a ceremony was unheard of. So I think it's significant, and I think it's rising, and I think the slope is going up. My work is aided immeasurably by Hugh Young, who provides ongoing technical assistance and creative support. His circumstitions.com website has hosted my list for a decade. I also owe a debt of gratitude to one other individual who was aided in the success of this project. Some of you may have seen emails from a young man named Dove, D-O-V. I say young man based only on email communications. I've never met him. I've never spoken to him on the phone. And I'm only guessing that he is young. Dove has not shared his last name with me and insists on anonymity for his own personal reasons, and I respect this. Dove constantly searches for potential Brit Shalom celebrants, and he sends me all his leads, and they've been quite fruitful. So thank you, Dove, my deep throat, whoever and wherever you are. I believe that there is a significant growth in the minority of Jewish families who are embracing Brit Shalom rather than Brit Milah. More and more Jewish boys are being left intact. They will have a bar mitzvah, and they will ultimately take their place in the Jewish community. And undoubtedly, they will leave their own sons' penises alone. We Jews have been circumcising our sons for approximately 2,500 years. Hopefully, it will not take another 2,500 years to stop this practice completely. continues to call me his boss when I... <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple, uh, was it two years now, who approached
approached me at a baby fair, and they were both Jewish, and they lived in a small town in northern Washington State and couldn't find a rabbi who would come But they found a Unitarian minister who did a ceremony that he basically made up. Um, and they were very pleased with it. And so I guess my question is, are some of your celebrants not necessarily Jewish? Or would, would one be welcome who was not? The answer to, the, to your first question is, I think that there are some, because we have uh, a group of rabbis on the East Coast, and they're a group of, of clergy. And some of them are, you know, Christian and Jewish. So I don't know. I don't have anyone listed by name. But the answer to your second question is yes. I would certainly list a Unitarian minister or a, uh, someone of some other faith who would be willing to participate in this. Because, you know, it's, uh, it's, there's no particular uh, <coughs> liturgy or thing to be said. And a lot, a lot of the, the, I mean, I myself have conducted uh, Brit Shalom ceremonies, and I know I meet with the family, I go over them with them what is their personal needs and desires, and then I incorporate that into the Brit Shalom, and I try to get the, the grandfather and grandmother and the relatives to participate. So yeah, the answer to your question is yes. I don't think it, it really would be an issue. Thanks. Yes. Um, Rabbi see online, there seems to be a lot of Jewish people who just still are not aware that the Brit Shalom exists. So my question is, is how do you get that information out to the Jewish community? Are you, are you incorporating social networks, which I mean, I think can be a huge powerful tool to do that? Well, you mean, are you talking about Facebook? <laughs> because, yeah, I, I myself personally I'm not on Facebook but I know that uh, I do whatever I can I speak at Jewish community centers and synagogues and uh, invariably I have people coming up to me and say I didn't know about this or oh my god when I tell my personal story which basically bottom line is I was brought into conscious memory in my own circumcision and invariably people will come up to me and say you know Doc, this this happened to me, and I've never been able to talk about it. So yeah, your 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 question is very good, and uh, I think we all can carry the word out there that there is an alternative to circumcision in Judaism. I mean, that's basically what it is. And and you know, I've written articles, and uh, the Beyond the Bris website is a very well uh, located one. Uh, Rebecca Wald lives uh, near Martin in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and she's, uh, she came to, uh, to San Francisco and appeared with me uh, and others on a panel after, after Ellie's film was shown. So, I, I mean, you know, we're getting the word out there, but uh, unfortunately, you have rabbis preaching about Brit Milah and about the fact that circumcision makes a Jewish man whole, that you're 99% a man before that, but then when you have to cut off a bit of your penis to make it whole. So I mean, we're, this is it's a constant battle, but I think the minority is growing. I mean, it is a minority, and I don't know how much of a minority, it's small, but it is growing, and people do know about it. But you're right, that we need to get the word out more. Sammy. I would like really to thank you. I, just to encourage you, I translated two rituals in Arabic 
really by book and I published them in a website in Arabic which is very very one million visited daily that forum I published it in the ritual in Arabic and also I translated it in, in French and it has been also published and it exists also in my book in English this is just to tell you well, that I encourage you well great and I, and I want to I want to emphasize my point about um, if any of you in, in, in other countries know rabbis who are liberal enough who you think might be willing to be listed, because this is a big problem. Uh, in the United States, we have a large contingent of Jews who are either secular or who are intermarried or who are liberal enough to want Brit Shalom, but this is not always the case in other countries. Frank. Yeah, Frank. Well, maybe that I haven't understood well, but uh, does the, the, the intervention uh, as some reinforcing ritual, for example, something reinforcing the idea that uh, it has been cut to somehow, you know? I mean, uh, this kind of... Uh, well, there is part, as part of Brit Shalom, for example, uh, Moshe, who I alluded to, who's done more Brit Shaloms than anyone else, has incorporated a ceremony where he pours water on the feet of the baby, warm water so the baby doesn't cry. And this, uh, but nothing connected with the genitals. I am, I, I am really opposed to any tampering with, I mean, it's been brought up maybe taking a drop of blood out of the penis, which is something called Padika Dam ceremony, which is, which is what is required, for example, of a Jewish family who decide to circumcise in the hospital, and then the which doesn't fulfill the uh, the the Brit Milah, and then they want to have a, a bris. Well, the rabbi will have to then, even though he's circumcised, they'll have to take a drop of blood. So it's been proposed that well, maybe we should do that in a Brit Shalom ceremony. I am personally totally opposed to that because I think you know that's why tamper with the baby's genitals in any way. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Mark, I'm, I was wondering if, if, if there might be some families that would, if, if, if this is, I was going to ask the question and I said, no, I wouldn't, but now that you touched on it, I want to get back to Rabbi Hoffman's book, his entire covenant, covenant of the blood. blood. It's about blood. And I'm wondering if some people may not, some Jewish people may not be so devoted to the idea of the, to the symbolic. For example, dabbing a drop of, of red wine on penis, would this be a manipulation of the genitals that you would oppose to? Hello? Hello? Dropping a drop of blood on the baby's a red wine. A, a, a drop a of wine. Red wine is a <laughs> but not on the genital, right? You mean on the finger or on the hand or something? On, on the penis. You know. I, I personally wouldn't want to do that because I think I, that... And I, I understand. Yeah, because I mean, when, part of the baby's screaming is when you undrape him and, you know, bring his genitals into... I, I just don't think that's that necessarily... Makes, makes me feel good to hear you yeah. say that because that's one of the worst parts of, of my circumstance when people pull my pants down in the middle of with a knife. Yeah, I may interject, I might make one statement here. You know, many of you in, the, in this room are aware of the fact that the original biblical cut was nothing what, like what we do now. It was a simple 
pulling of the foreskin beyond the glands and snipping off if you had a long enough foreskin and snipping it off. And this was radically changed during the Hellenistic period, 100 to 300 BCE, when Jewish athletes tried to compete in the Olympics, and which were totally done in the nude. And of course, the Greeks considered expo exposure of the glands to be obscene. And so in order to mimic or to be able to compete in these, uh, in these Olympics, along with some of the Greeks themselves who had short foreskins, they would pull their foreskins down and tie it off. And so rabbis of that period in their infinite wisdom decreed that this original biblical cut was no longer kosher enough. And they created what was called peria, from Brit Mila to Peria, which is not a term that probably most of you are not even familiar with. And they decreed the entire stripping of the foreskin, which is what now remains and what we consider the standard circumcision. Yeah, Mark, first um, I want to uh, congratulate you on your de-emphasizing the genitals. I think that's really important is to sort of get the focus away from that in these welcoming ceremonies and welcome the whole child. Um, but uh, I also wanted to say, I think it's very exciting that you're getting information on celebrants from outside the United States, and it could potentially have a very big impact there where Jewish families routinely do choose a Brits. I've heard figures for the United States that something like 70% of Jewish fam families, families that identify as Jewish um, choose to have their son circumcised in the hospital, not necessarily. Where do those numbers come from? Um, I, I don't. Recall. I don't know yeah. where. Yeah. It was. I would have. Yeah. Yeah. Seventy percent. Yeah, it might be from from land, but so approximately seventy seventy two percent of American Jews um, do not want a bris um, for whatever reasons they may have. We discussed my cousin the other day, um, but. Do you think that this idea of getting the word out about the bris milah might actually bring shalom, in, shalom, I'm sorry, might bring in some of those families who may be on the fence about circumcision and decide they don't want to do it? Because if they don't, there's really literally nothing there. There's no cutting, there's no ceremony, there's no nothing. But this might help sort of bring them back into some observance of the arrival of the child because they don't have to worry about the cutting aspect. Well, I think there would be a small percentage of that 70% if that's correct, but like, like Len, I, I truly believe that the majority of the, the Jewish families that are, that are having the circumcisions in the hospital are doing it because it's the American thing to do. And as the numbers are dropping in the United States, so that the, the average is somewhere around 50 to 55%, and then the West Coast we all know that it's, it's considerably lower than that, 25 to 30%. And a certain number of these are certainly Jewish people. And I would say that the majority of people that are doing the circumcisions in the hospital are in this quote-unquote secular Jewish uh, community. And probably only a small number of those would be attracted to the Brit Shalom. I think the Brit Shalom would be an attractive alternative to those who have some spiritual or observant or some relationship to Judaism. 
what, in whatever way, either community or <clears throat> prayer or whatever their tradition is. So first of all, Mark, I, I'm, I re I'm really appreciative of the work that you do in this area. I think it's really important to propose positive alternatives. I think that's a huge part of, of moving in the right direction. Um, but I do want to make a sort of public plea to all the intactivists in the room to avoid um, the rhetorical move of talking about the evolution of the Jewish ritual from being less extensive to more extensive. It's, it's a losing argument. It doesn't help anything. Um, I don't think anyone want, in this room wants to argue that we should be going back to the older form. Oh, there and are people who do. I know, but I, I don't think anyone in this room does. And, um, and I just feel like, you know, while historically interesting, um, it's, it's really misguided rhetorically. Um, and oftentimes what ends up happening is you end up getting a lot of sort of false data getting out there. Like, oh, it used to be much less extensive. And people sort of exaggerate what the, you know, they say the original one was just like a centimeter, I've heard some intactivists say, no, 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 okay? It was always getting rid of the ridge bands. That, that, that has always been the case. And so I just want us to retire this as a rhetorical move. Um, uh, that I, just I, to say I, that. I basically agree with you, yeah. <laughs> Tim. Um, this is more a thinking on my feet question. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, whenever you have to change, you're gonna get the, the, the more liberal people adopting something like British Shalom. But obviously, uh, you may never ever win over the Orthodox Hasidic community. But I'm just wondering, uh, since you mentioned this is essentially a blood ritual. Essentially what? Essentially a blood ritual in, in, in which blood for the more conservative people must be shed in some way or another. Could a, uh, a hybrid Rishalom, do you ever see room where a hybrid Rishalom could be adopted for the more conservative types where there's no genital cutting, there's no genitals of the baby at all, but there is shedding of blood, maybe a pinprick from the father uh, with his blood being shed, maybe dropped onto the baby somehow or something. Do you think that that would fulfill in some people's minds the whole blood aspect of the ritual? I think for perhaps a very small percentage, but most people are, aren't even, most people are not aware of the fact that a bris doesn't make you Jewish. They're not aware of the blood Thing. They're not aware of the patrilineal history rather than the matrilineal history of Judaism. So I would think that this, although it might be interesting and it might be something that one celebrant could suggest to a family, uh, I personally would not think that this should be a, a general concept to, uh, to, to look for. Steve Strong. Yeah, just as a matter of curiosity, not that I'm going to be well, I obviously didn't talk about this in any detail, but metzitsa, or sometimes called metzitsa, ba'al peh, which is a redundant addition of words. Ba'al peh means by mouth. Metzitsa is no, no, nowhere at all in the Torah. It's totally, and I don't know where, probably Ellie can tell me exactly what, uh, what part of the, the Talmud it's in. It's, the, it's in the Mishnah, but, okay, so 
It was something that came up in the Middle Ages, probably, somewhere? No, uh, earlier. Earlier? Yeah. <laughs> well, in any case, it's, it's something that's, that's practiced. If, if any of you don't know what this is, is once the circumcision is, is done, the uh, moel will suck on the baby's penis and spit out the blood. I mean, I know I realize it's a totally incomprehensible, uh, perverted uh, idea. But this is something that the ultra-religious will perform. And uh, I was delighted to read recently that in New York that there's some sort of um, uh, law that states that you have to get permission and uh, that this is not going to be, going to be uh, accepted without some sort of controls. So Matitza Baalpeh is not in the Torah. It's in the Talmud, the Mishnah, which is the original Talmud and then the, uh, the Gomorrah, which is the commentaries on the, the Talmud, which is basically, the Talmud is a commentary on all things pertaining to Jewish life. And what was the other question? Uh, what the definitions are in Hebrew, those three words? Brit Milah, the Brit, brit means covenant, Milah cutting. means circumcision. Cutting. Uh, cutting. Cutting, okay, well, yes. but, and Peria is the change that we're not allowed to talk about now, because Eli has put a... <laughs> Peria is the change from the original biblical cut to the current uh, complete stripping of the force. What does it mean, Peria? Scraping. Scraping? Uh, Shalom, really? Pairing. Pairing. Pairing, yes. Okay. Yes. That's what I Mitzitza is... Oh, okay. Sucking. Yeah. I've been asking a couple of times where the evidence is for the original form of the custom in Judaism. How do we know? Okay, well, you know, this is a very interesting question because when I originally proposed this because I got an article in its original Hebrew about nine or ten years ago, uh, which was published only in Hebrew, and the author refused well, to... Well, there's only some movie wrote Okay. There's also an English version. Well, it, there's an English version that the only one that I know of is, is my, an Israeli cousin of mine translated it, and I have no, a translated no, version. A, a true English version. He wrote an English version, published in a book, because originally he refused to uh, translate it into English. No, he wrote. It's a, a book about a Jewish circumcision. I have, a, I, have, I have the copy of the book. Anyway, in addition, in, in, in answer to your question, uh, this article has original sources from, uh, from many uh, uh, articles, primary sources, source material. And so it's, it's uh, although it has been questioned in the past, I think it's pretty well documented that, that this is true. That you mean the, other writings that were going on uh, 3,000 years ago? What, what, not 3,000 years ago, but, but uh, who's well, the well, Jewish well, writer, uh, Jewish? You uh, pre-Hellenistic, so that could be. Absolutely, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. The right. Book of Maccabees is one of the sources. Okay. And also uh, Josephus. Josephus, and, that's the one. Yeah. Josephus writes about And also about the fact that it doesn't appear anywhere in the Jewish tradition before the Mishnah. So these are the sort of triangulation points that people have used. But it is speculation. Yeah, when I first proposed this to my own rabbi, he said that this was. Yeah, but I think that's pretty, it's pretty, pretty well documented, although, you know, not just like. Uh, uh, Frederick's talk, we can't 
be 100% sure about it. Okay. Thank you very much, Mark. I think I must now, we're half an hour, yes, like seriously, half an hour over time. And um, I think we must call the proceedings closed. I must remind you that the uh, music ceremony is going to take place immediately after this. But feel free to continue asking questions. But officially, we're closed. And if you need, that's fine. That's our show. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com.